With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello everybody and welcome to the Talking City Podcast. My name is Dan Murphy from the Manchester Evening News and joining me today is Mr. Joe Bray. Joe, how is it going? Not too bad, thanks Dan. How are you? Yeah, I'm surviving, mate, surviving, even though now we're in the, the midst of lockdown. Thankfully, this time we still have football to talk about. And also joining me today is Mr. Tyrone Marshall. How's it going, Ty? Uh, very well, thank you, Dan. Very well. Buoyed by your enthusiasm. Oh, it's got to be. got to keep upbeat and high tempo works. We'll all mellow in the lack of pubs and being able to go to football still. So we'll keep going forward. And we had... Thankfully, to keep us all bored and upbeat, as you say, on Sunday we had quite a good game. We had Manchester City 1, Liverpool 1, the first half of which at least was an absolute barn burner, end-to-end um, bombastic stuff, as I tend to like to say. Uh, it was a good game, Joe, but was it the best result for City given the circumstances, do you think? What do you think of the whole match as a whole? It was a weird one, wasn't it? It was definitely a game of two halves. I think Liverpool will probably be a bit happier with the point. Um, I I think if you've got if you've got any ambitions of winning the title, you've got to beat your main rivals, especially at home. So mm-hmm. the owner now on City to go to Anfield and do what they've not done in a long time and and win there. But in the context of this game, I think City will be quite happy given that there's so many fixtures going on, so many injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, kept a very powerful Liverpool front four at bay. Uh, mm. I found it quite interesting that Klopp was saying that he just he tried to outfox Guardiola by going 4-4-2 and uh, that's all it took to to confuse City for mm. the opening stages. Um, who knew a 4-4-2 was all that it took to confuse Guardiola? Um, but after the sort of hectic opening, City calmed things down. Wonderful goal from Jesus. Um, I definitely think he meant that, by the way. And uh, yeah, in the end, it could have been, could have been more, but they've just got to Make sure they go on a run now and make sure that the Kevin De Bruyne penalty mm. miss isn't as oh, costly yeah. as it could have been. It was certainly a frantic start, Si. Um, si, Ty. Apologies, getting you mixed <laughs> up. Getting you mixed up. Um, it was certainly a mad start. Liverpool could have been more than one ahead from the penalty mm. they got early doors. But I say, as Joe mentioned there, it was it was 4-2 slash 4-2-4 that kind of kind of messed Guardiola up. And when Guardiola's kind of, if I recall correctly, as his like methodology of how he sets up a team and it, and it's always one more defender than striker. So in this instance, he maybe would have wanted to go three at the back. Were you impressed with kind of how City kind of managed to wrestle it back after such a frantic start? Obviously, Liverpool took the lead for a solid penalty after, I think, 12 minutes. They could have had more. They were really kind of going. Mane mm. was giving, Walker's been City's best player over October, but you gave him an absolute torrid afternoon was, rinsing him every time and time again and that's how the penalty came about no no absolutely no qualms with that at all but like were you impressed with how City managed to kind of wrestle it back by the half and I would just I actually felt like you usually get the commentators curse I was blogging the game and literally a minute before the goal was scored from City I put City had grown into the game which usually means <laughs> Liverpool will go and get another but this time it, it was clear from about I'd say about 25 minutes onwards like City had kind of grown like kind of, I think Klopp said it himself yeah. he'd, they'd adapted to the surprising formation that Liverpool went with. Were you impressed with how they kind of coped with that? Yeah, I was. And, and the key for City was was getting De Bruyne into the game, really. I mean, so much goes through him now. And City just City had real issues in, in getting their midfielders in, into it. In that, I think Liverpool 
they expected Liverpool probably to play a 4-2-3-1, perhaps even with that system and have Firmino kind of a number 10. But it was almost a, a traditional two up front, as Joe says, with, with Firmino and Salah. And then you had, they, they were kind of blocking off the passing lanes to, to Rodri and Gundogan. And then you had Henderson and Wijnaldum blocking Rodri and Gundogan as soon as they got the ball. So City had no outlet to get the ball into Rodri and Gundogan, which meant they had no outlet to get the ball into De Bruyne. So they had to think on their feet. And you can imagine, I mean, City do have a habit of kind of being thrown off by unexpected tactical switches from teams in the mm. past. And you can kind of imagine Guardiola spending the minutes up to kickoff, trying to work out exactly what Liverpool were going to do and, and how to go about combating it. It was only when the game started that he probably saw exactly what the approach was. So from then on, it was about trying to find the right solution and a way to get the best players into the game. And like you say, from, from 25 minutes, it, it did look like City were getting a grip on it and, and they were finding a way to get their better players into the game. They never, excuse me, didn't really feel like they ever took total control of the game and they're the better team in the last half an hour, but the game died a fairly quick death in that final half an hour. There was mm. very few chances of note. Both teams looked absolutely shattered, but the key for City mm. was, was staying in the game. And I think we'll probably come to talk about this, but the most important thing was the way Liverpool started for the first 20, 25 minutes. You can imagine the City team of last season, the way they were defensively, finding themselves 3-4-0 down and out of the game at that stage. And the fact that they weren't and they're only 1-0 down meant that they could stay mm-hmm. in the game and when they found a way to get back in it, they, they could take advantage of it. Well, definitely. Let's talk about the defence as a whole during the game. I think we'll talk about how the game kind of petered out in the last half an hour later on when we get to a, the debate that's been raging from since that game. But um, the defence on the whole, I thought the, I thought the man on the match in the game for both sides was Joao Cancelo. I thought he had a great game going mm-hmm. forward and back. Salah and um, Yotta, for that matter, who were on the kind of his left side, Apart from the Salah penalty, I don't remember him doing much in the game, really. And uh, Jota was at the quietest being since he's joined Liverpool. Mane was the real danger man on the on the other side, where Walker was having a bit of a dodgy start of him. But I thought Joel Cancelo had a really good game. Going forward, he probably created his best chance in the second half when he cut inside and crossed for Jesus. And there was a moment, the one moment when Salah nearly kind of broke away in the second half, um, and he kind of they broke through City. It was Cancelo who was back there doing a really good slide and tackle um, to get the ball away in like a really risky situation. If he had a mistimed it, it would have been another penalty for sure. And then as we look at the centre, it's clear now that City have, our oh, Guardiola has that matter, a settled back line. He's got Diaz and Laporte. It's, you know, it's good job because it's 150 million quid's worth of defenders. But it is kind of, after maybe a bit of a ropey start against Leeds, when obviously Diaz had been at the club for two days, if that, um, and obviously they hadn't had time to kind of foster a partnership. It looks, Ty, that Diaz and Laporte are really kind of gelling now. Yeah, they look a really solid partnership and, and they were they were key, I thought, to giving City the platform to get back in the game. They they dealt with everything with a minimum of fuss, really. They were always positionally spot on and one, one of the keys to getting City back in the game was that Guardiola clearly asked them to, to play further forward and to kind of push 10 yards up, which... Sounds like sort of a death warrant against Liverpool, the way we're getting in behind, but it worked and, and did give Liverpool less room to play and less room to play on the counter when they took the ball off Rodri and Gundogan. And that was vital, really. And, you know, they've got the confidence to do that. They won their individual duels and they just looked very much no nonsense. I mean, we know what Laporte's all about, but Diaz has been excellent since he came in. He's, mm-hmm. He looks a real leader, even though he's new to this team. He, he already looks like the leader of that defence. He marshals them through games and... They just did have that secure feeling that even when they were under pressure, when you can imagine City under that sort of onslaught in the first 15, 20 minutes, you can imagine them buckling in, in recent mm-hmm. seasons and remember the last 15 months or so. And, and they didn't. And it was thanks to those two that they stood firm, really. And 
the defensive record this year over recent games has been excellent, really, in the number of clean sheets. Mm-hmm. They've not conceded more than one a game for, for a while now. And that, I mean, th- those two, for me, should be giving City the confidence that they can actually really make a title race for this and potentially reclaim their title because it looks like the days of getting beat 5-2 at home by Leicester are over based on that evidence. Mm-hmm. Joe, it's like for a City team who takes so many risks and they always play so high up, it's kind of like an achievement for City to look so solid with Diaz and Laporte there. We'll talk more later on about kind of the winners and losers so far this season as we come into the second international break. But like I said, how what difference has Diaz made since he's come in? And is this the settled defence now? Can you see anybody breaking into it? There's Garcia, there's Mendy, there's Zinchenko, there's Stones still. Ake, of course, who was another summer signing. He seems to be like first reserve in two positions. But is this the, is this the solid back five now, including Edison? I think apart from left back, there's always going to be the the issue of Cancelo or or Mendy, but yeah, the the three faces of Laporte, Diaz and Walker are nailed in for me. I think, as you say, City were pushing pushing forward and there was space. But what, what's impressed me most about Diaz is what he hasn't done and he hasn't made any major mistakes. He hasn't looked like making a mistake. And if you look back to last season, even the start of this season, you've got the likes of Eric Garcia, John Stones, Otamendi, all good defenders, but all capable of mm. putting City in trouble with one bad touch, bad positioning. Diaz isn't giving you any of that and I think he's also uh, bringing Laporte out of his shell. So when Laporte last season was City's best defender obviously, he was Mm -hmm. the one he was having to also lead and marshal the defence because Mm -hmm. of his status as the best defender. With Diaz coming in, Diaz has got no problem with you know, telling people where to be, telling people what's good and, and what isn't good enough in terms of standards. That's allowing Laporte for me just to play his game. And when Laporte mm-hmm. has that and has the pressure off, he's mm-hmm. maybe in City's best defender. But that's that, down that's, to Diaz. Yeah. Well, that's quite interesting. I think, like from what you're saying, that kind of reminds me, like Laporte came in and for as City won the title in his first time six months, it was company who was his partner most mm-hmm. of the time. Obviously, lost company last summer and then Laporte for most of it after he suffered his injury. But the kind of the absence of company's leadership at the back was an obvious, obvious kind of mishap in City and it cost them dear. Um, as Obviously, no one's going to replace company as the kind of icon and that sort of galvanising kind of presence. But is, is he the one who's going to kind of replace him in like a leadership capacity, it seems like? I think he's the closest you're going to get, and he's definitely the closest that City have had since since Company left. Um, what's what struck out to me is that after any game that City have either not been the best defensively or have dropped points, Diaz hasn't sort of sugarcoated it. He said, "No, this isn't good enough. We've got to be mm. better," and that, that's the standard that needs to be set in that defence after so much chopping mm. and changing. And uh, he's he's one of them that is going to take charge, and I think that's going to bring the best out of the likes of the court. Nathan Ake, when he comes in, even John Stones needs someone next to him like that mm. to order him about and allow him just to concentrate on playing football. So mm. I think Diaz is looking for for the moment like he could be sort of the best defender that City could have bought this summer. Um, mm-hmm. So very, very positive uh, signs early on for me from, from Ruben Diaz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely going to take credit because my first podcast appearance, I said they should have gone for Diaz instead of Kula Bali. So very proud of that. I'm going to take that one. Um, from the defence to the attack, Ty, we've seen Jesus come back. We saw him make his long-awaited return on Wednesday or Tuesday, my apologies, uh, in the Champions League against Olympiacos. We'll touch more on City's Champions League form later. But he came back, um, what, 20 minutes to go in that game. City were ahead. And he, uh, but Olympiacos had come back into it a bit um, and had some good chances. And it was Jesus who kind of come on, 
again, gave them that, I've talked about so many times, gave them that much-needed kind of focal point that they missed without a clearing out and out striker. He scored a fantastic goal on Tuesday, an amazing dribble and smashed it into the roof of the net. And then he comes in on Sunday, straight into the start, which might have been risky considering what's happened to Aguero this season. Um, but he puts in another great performance and scores a fantastic goal, perhaps one of his best for City, a brilliant touch. As Joe said, he definitely meant it. He said as much on Sky afterwards. Um is he the difference kind of city? Is he been what City's missing? And how impressed have you been since he came back in these last two games? Yeah, very impressed. He's picked up where he left off, really. It was noticeable in that Wolves game, in the first game of the season, that he was really hunting a goal late on in that game. You could tell that scoring meant a lot to him then. And his record recently for City is fantastic. He's, he's scored in eight of his last 11 appearances now. Wow. And I would say this is probably the closest he's he's been to sort of Serpin Aguero as, as first-choice striker. And I think the interesting thing for me is going to be when Aguero's fit after the international break, mm. who Guardiola goes with, considering he's not had two fit strikers to to pick from for a, a number of months now with their injury issues. So that's going to be intriguing. But yeah, he, he does look on top form at the moment. And he's always, the thing with Jesus is he's always been a streaky striker. When he's on a hot spell, he, he scores goals for fun, but the tap can run cold just as quickly and he can go, weeks and weeks without scoring. So the real challenge for him now is to prove mm-hmm. that this isn't a one-off and to continue consistently banging the goals in. But yeah, the way he took both goals this week, continue has been out for so long, was absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. And he does look to me like he, he is perhaps as close as he's been since his first few months at the club to, to taking the mantle off Aguero as the first-choice mm-hmm. striker. But like I said, the challenge is that he needs to do this week in, week out now and, and not suddenly have a run where the goals just dry up. Mm-hmm. I think we saw like best and worst in that game because I say his goal was really, really good, a really great touch, and then poked into the corner. But as I mentioned, he then had a great header unmarked yeah, after header. doing such, after doing so well to kind of break the offside trap, get in unmarked, and he, it wasn't the easiest headers. It was one when he had to kind of put a lot of power onto it, but he did put it wide. You'd have thought at least from that sort of range, he'd want it on target, Joe. So as Ty mentioned, that do you think is he is he the first choice now over Aguero? Because Aguero, as we said. Um, he was injured for a long time, came back, played two, three matches, and then has unfortunately picked up another kind of injury. As Ty said, hopefully back after the international break. But I feel like Jesus, it seems like Jesus has more of the energy and the uh, kind of the pressing part of his game that suits Guardiola more at the minute than Aguero does, especially if you can't rely on him for kind of a 90-minute performance because of his um, kind of dodgy injury record as of late. Yeah, it's tricky. I'm, I'm a massive like fan of Gabriel Jesus, and I think he's been getting quite a lot of unfair stick mm-hmm. because before Aguero's injury um, at the end of last season, he was limited to playing when Aguero wasn't. So it was substitute appearances. It was appearances in the less fancied games. And since then, I I think uh, Jesus has really, really took on that responsibility. And it's a good sign going forward. We don't know what's happening with Aguero with his his contract at the end of the season. Obviously, Mm -hmm. his record of late isn't great. So, yeah, um, having Jesus stepping up to that responsibility, I think his all-round play, I, I actually think, He's a better all-round striker at the moment mm. than Aguero in terms of his ability to play across the front three in terms of coming deep and playing others into the game. Um, yeah, as you say, the the header, he, he needs to sort of improve how clinical he is. But I think his two goals this week were really reminiscent of Aguero. And that's one sort of aspect of, Aguero, of Jesus's play that we've not really seen. That a goal against Olympiacos, if Aguero had scored it, you think, all oh, right, that's a trademark Aguero finish. He scores that every week. And the, the turn and finish against Liverpool was uh, fantastic, as we say. So if, he, if he's adding that sort of goal poaching and playing on the shoulder of the defender aspect to his game, as well as the all-round 
more uh, teamwork part of the game. I think he's developing into a real all-round striker that can only be a benefit to City, whatever happens in the future with Aguero. So he's always going to have, while Aguero's at the club, he's going to be playing second fiddle. If Aguero's fit, Aguero starts. That's kind of the rule. And you're not going to tell someone who's the top scorer of the club and has been so good for so many years that he's not playing. But I think, as Tyrone says, he's, he is the closest as he's ever been to, to being on par with, with Aguero and in contention for these big games. So, yeah, definitely. I, I've, I'm a big fan of Gs too. And I think as I didn't realise his goal scoring record of late was that good. Like Ty said, obviously he's got three and three every game he's played this season. But he's another one who has like not the best injury record. So hopefully he can stay fit and go and continue kind of improving. He's got an international break. Has he been called up by Brazil? I've not actually seen any squads. I think yeah, he has. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Probably a shame. I'm, I'm sure Guardiola isn't exactly buzzing over that. I'm sure he'd rather have him to fresh for two weeks. But um, the game, as we said, finished 1-1. It could have had... It's not been a top-two clash as uh, the season's still in its infancy, as it has been in recent times. Um, the point gap between the two teams remains at five, with City having a game in hand. Who's that game in hand against? Anyone? Villa. 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 So not, not the easiest of games as of late with the way they're going. Um, five points. It could have been down to two. Could have been as bad as eight. I think personally that the way City kind of went, I know, every, as we said, the team's tired in the last half an hour, but I feel like it was a bit, I feel like City could have and should have gone a lot more for the win. They left Foden on the bench, which again, we'll come to that in a bit. But like, how do you see, what do you think this, that the implications of this game will be on the, like, the rest of the title race going forward? To, in, presuming that these two will be the two horses in the race. We don't know, you know, there could be Spurs, there could be a Leicester. Mm. Who knows who, what, how this season's going to shape up, but... If we're presuming it's these two at the minute, how do you think this result, if any, like what impact it will have on the on the title race going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, really. It was probably the most sort of meaningless game, in a way, these two have played in terms mm-hmm. of the title race for, for quite a while, just because the, it is so early in the season and the table is so fractured. I mean, I think City are still down in 11th, maybe, after that. And I know we've got a game in hand, but Liverpool are only third. It is hard to sort of make any big judgments at the moment because the, the table has such a strange look to it. I think the way the game panned out, you'd perhaps say both teams are happy with a point. City at, at 20 minutes would have been fearing the worst and, and to mm. take a point from it would probably have been delighted. Liverpool beforehand would have probably been happy with a point and, and clearly settled for a point. So I suppose take a point and, and move on is is probably ideal and, and both will look at their start to the season. City have had a few too many draws, but generally look a lot more solid than they have done recently. Liverpool have had major injury problems and are still third and have kind of come through that period unscathed so far. So both probably think they've, they've got a platform to build from. I would imagine it will be between these two again, but I think it was interesting what Guardiola said on Friday, that the season's kind of about getting to the last 10 to five games and, and being in contention, really. And I, I think at some point, these two will put a run together of, eight to ten wins in a row and no other club apart from these two can match that and at that point we'll see them stretch away but with the relentlessness of the schedule and and the fact the players are so tired and both of these have got commitments in in virtually every competition there's there's so much that's unpredictable about this season that it's hard to know when that will happen and and it might be no surprise that we reach the point of 30 games and and they're still neck and neck and just trying to burn off the opposition so I think it's hard to make too many sweeping judgments. Obviously, the the longer it goes on as a title race, and if we get to 30, 35 games and there's only a point in it, then I guess the more and more De Bruyne's penalty is, well, yeah. is going to be looked at as a potentially defining moment. But 
it, when he missed it on on Sunday in in the fallout, it doesn't really feel like a defining moment at the moment. Maybe because it's so early. Maybe because they're mm-hmm. you know they're third and eleventh at the moment. But I suppose if it comes down to it, long term, it, it might be. But it never really felt like this was a, a game that was going to truly define the title race mm-hmm. this season. Yeah, Joe. It certainly seemed like a game that both managers were happy, would rather have not have lost than have risked to go for the win. And as we said, it doesn't feel like the title is going to be a ninety point or even a hundred point affair this season either. Like, how do you see it kind of playing out? As you know, we're still only in early November. There's still lots of the season to go. Yeah, as you said, I think at halftime both managers will have gone in and said, "Right, guys, calm down. Let's not have end to end and so many open gaps. Let's." keep it tight and see what we can do. And as, as Tyrone says about the penalty, there was, there was still, what was it, an hour to play? So it it wasn't, it didn't define the game completely, obviously. And now we know that it finished 1-1, it did. But um, there were still plenty of chances and opportunities for both sides to go on and win it. It wasn't like the Riyad Mahrez penalty at, at Anfield, was it two years ago, mm. which was the last pick of the game that was definitely the difference between winning and, and drawing. So, um there's, there's a lot of teams and every single team in the Premier League, and we've not been able to say this for a while, every team has shown that they are capable of an off day and that they're capable of dropping points. So it's I think for City, it'll be a good point if they go to Tottenham after the international break, who are obviously doing really well, look really solid under Jose Mourinho. If they can go there and get a win, mm. it's a fantastic point and they're built on it and then they can go on a bit of a run which is uh much needed if they slip up again then maybe you, you start looking back and thinking well should they have should they've gone for the win in that second half but it's yeah it's, it's going to be one of these seasons where we look back and any game that points are drops could could be crucial but i think there's going to be so many more drop points mm-hmm. um, from every team every team is capable yeah. of being the other this season so it's going to come down to who's got the the biggest squad to cope with all the all the fixtures yeah. and the, the injuries yeah. and you would you would think that City and Liverpool are the two that are going to be able to deal with that more and they've got the experience yeah. of putting runs together and I would probably still class City as, as favourites just for that reason just I think they've got the, the most yeah. resources to cope with a, a season that we've not had before. Yeah yeah it definitely feels like drop points aren't going to be punished as much as in previous years. Um, it's interesting you mentioned Maris's penalty then, because I saw the start that said um, Maris's penalty um, against Liverpool two years ago was the last time that a player had in the Premier League had missed from the penalty spot completely, not hit the target, and until De Bruyne was against Liverpool, which is quite creepy. But Maris himself wasn't involved at all in this game, Ty. A strange omission, not even on the bench, a City bench that had four defenders and a goalkeeper then just... Um, Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden on it. Not well, Foden didn't even get a chance to show anything, but not the most game-changing of substitutes on hand. Is it strange? What um, it, it was put down to kind of squad rotation, and he wasn't apparently injured. But it seems like a really weird one to leave him out of such a big game, especially when he's probably the one player City had who could bring on and feasibly made a real impact on a game like that. Yeah, it did feel a little strange because he's been quite heavily involved of late, so it, it, it did feel slightly strange. Um, I, I suppose that if you have him, Bernardo in and Foden on the bench, I suppose they all play a fairly similar role in that Bernardo and Foden can cover in midfield, but if you're going to bring them on out wide, they're all kind of going to play on the right, coming in on the left foot. So I suppose theoretically there's an argument there that they, they all perform a similar role, perform a similar role. So do you need all three on the bench? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, with, with no Aguero and with no striker mm-hmm. on the bench, do you need yeah. that many no, defenders? Liam Delap not even on the bench either. Exactly, like, yeah. Or Cole Palmer or Tommy Doyle. Like you say, you know, all them attackers play the same role, but mm-hmm. Ake, Stones and Garcia all play the same role at centre-back. So yeah. it is a strange one. Were you surprised to see him left out, Joe? 
Uh, well, you've just listed the bench there. That make, immediately makes me think that maybe mm-hmm. the plan was to play more on the cautious side and itself take it. And yeah, I, I think Maris might have been able to change the game, but the fact that neither manager used three substitutes, given mm-hmm. how much both managers are complaining about how many substitutes yeah. are available, and mm-hmm. um, I think that told you everything you really needed to know about. They were just happy to take a point, not get beat, and not lose any more ground on the other, and and just move on. So, I would I would expect to see Mares back in the squad when he's uh, when they're back at Tottenham after the international break. Well, that's a perfect segue, Joe, because the debate that's kind of come out of this game, not no, there's been no talk about how great the first half was, one of the best halves of football this season. I'd wager that wasn't just mad for the amount of goals that have been scored. It was a really good game in the first half, and unfortunately petered out. But that all goes into this discussion. Um, after the game, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp were both furious about the Premier League rule of only having three substitutes uh, this season, while every other league in Europe and Champions League and internationals, I believe, remains five. Um, it was voted in a pre-season vote uh, by the Premier League clubs, I think 14 of which, uh, so every team that weren't in the big six wanted the subs to go back to three. Um, they've been calling it, um, they've been, um, Oligon Solskjaer as well, and United have been calling the, the schedule and how kind of um, truncated it is and how hectic the fixtures are. They're coming so thick and fast for the players and it is leading, it's undeniably leading to more muscle injuries. The, uh, the casualty in this game was Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, and the, it's led to the managers who, well, Trent's going to be out for about four weeks with a calf injury. And it's led to the managers co- complaining about the, um, the kind of the welfare of the players and wanting this rule of the substitutes to go back up again. And well, for me personally, Ty, I, I can understand where they're coming from. I can understand. And the, the managers themselves aren't necessarily got the same opinions of what the clubs want in terms of clubs demanding, uh, the big clubs at least, making moves to get more European games and add even more football onto an already kind of crammed calendar. I'm not saying the managers necessarily agree with that, but it screams as hypocritical when, you know, one representative of the club wants is complaining about the amount of football and the owners of said clubs are um, kind of angling to get more and more money-spinning opportunities. And then... You know, we've had Guardiola complaining about substitutions, the lack of only having five. He only made one in the Liverpool game, even though it was clear to everyone that um, a lot of the players were out on the feet and absolutely uh, shattered. Um, and then, you know, Klopp complains about he's got another injury to Trent Alexander-Arnold. Well, he's the one who started Trent Alexander-Arnold in seven games in 23 days when he has uh, youngster Neko Williams who could come in there, James Milner who came in and did a good job here. So... What's your take on the debate, side, uh, Ty? And is it, it screams of just them wanting to have the cake and eat it too, even though you can kind of understand where they're coming from a bit in the welfare of the players? Yeah, I, I think it's fair enough, personally. I, I think it was something that was hatched at full time by the looks of things. You saw Guardiola and Klopp have a pretty animated conversation at full time and, and Klopp was clearly trying to make a point. And I think they've obviously been on the same wavelength over this for a while. So I think... I think that chat was probably about this and it was pretty clear that they used every opportunity and every interview opportunity post-match to to try and raise it. And, and I mean, the, the use of the one City substitute did get raised actually in, in Pep's press conference when he'd continually gone back to it and was asked about only making one sub. And he, he just kind of said, you know, I, I want the rules changed. I want the five subs, but it's up to me how I use them. And it, I, I don't think it was necessarily about just one game. And you can kind of understand with so much at stake why they didn't make more changes then. It's that they there should be the option to make more changes when you know they're winning comfortably or it's it's a game where they feel more risks can be taken and you know we mentioned there Klopp started Alexander Arnold in seven games 
if you have five subs available to you, then perhaps he does start Neko Williams in, in some of them, knowing that he has more subs available to change it if required. And I think that's one of the, the big issues as well. And we'd probably see that with City in that Guardiola might feel more emboldened to make more changes in league games to rest players if you know he has five subs available rather than three. When you have three subs available, you've got to consider that one of them will probably be injury enforced at some point. So really, you've got two subs available to, to try and rest players. So you need to be cautious with them and use them later in games. When when you've got five available, you can be more take more risks with your starting 11 and resting players, knowing that if you're losing at halftime, you can change the game and you know, it gives you a little bit more freedom. And I just think, you know, the, the injury record this year is is pretty clear for all to see that it, it's pretty drastic and muscle injuries are up a lot. And it is fundamentally, it is about the players. They're going to be absolutely dead on their feet when it comes to the Euros. I mean, we may as well not even bother sending a team, to be honest, because it's going to be a total farce. And I think the fact that we're the only major league in Europe that's not done it mm-hmm. suggests that, you know, we're the ones out of step here rather mm-hmm. than the rest of Europe. Yeah, hundred percent. I understand with the welfare. I do think the way that they kind of we've kind of lost two months at the start of the season and we're cramming it all in in one goal. We're still the League Cup. We're still the FA Cup. We're still all the Champions League. I do think on the kind of the arguments of fixture pile up. I do think there should have been and like these international fixtures coming up now. There's no reason for games League that aren't uh, that aren't Euro 2020 qualifiers. There's no reason for any other games to carry on, especially when we've seen the farce of England having to play in Albania or Germany or wherever it is because of the Denmark travel restrictions or whatever. Um, it's clearly a massive problem on the fixture point of view. But like the substitutes, I do understand where you're coming from. I do understand like every other league does go for it, and that's fair enough. But our league, you know, it's done <laughs> for now at least on the kind of every club votes, and it's clear that it does benefit the bigger sides, Joe. Like, Liverpool, City could bring on another, basic, well, they can't because you can only make five subs, but they have so much more wealth. If you look at Burnley's bench this year, for instance, their bench is literally Matej Vidra, a reserve goalkeeper no one's ever heard of, and then kids. That's literally it. So, it, it's it, you can see why the bigger teams wouldn't, that's why the smaller teams, why they're against it, because it is an unfair advantage to those bigger teams who have more resources. And then, if they have those resources, use them. If you've got these players and these youngsters you like, you should, I think at least, you should have the, um, I understand what Ty is saying, you want to kind of, you've, there's pressure to win every game and you want to play your best players, but if you've got trust in these players, then they should, if you've you you know, if you've got nothing else, they should play them. And then at the end of the day, you're managing the players. Injuries could happen even if you haven't got five subs. I'd, I'd believe even if they did have five subs, Klopp would still be playing Alexander-Arnold every week as Salamani and Firmino and Robertson. All his best players would still be starting. He just might be able to take them off a bit earlier. So, like, I do think it screams a bit of hypocrisy, even though I do think the managers themselves have kind of the best interest of the players at heart. Yeah, definitely. And we've seen at City, then, that if you just look at the defence, Laporte and Diaz have played, I think, four of the last five games. And Ake, and Ake's been injured, obviously, but you've got John Stones, you've got Eric Garcia, you've got plenty of options. So it's, I think everyone's in the right. And that's why every team has one vote. So City are well within the rights and Liverpool to make the point that there's too many games. They're obviously playing all over Europe in midweek as well. And they've got less time to prepare for games than barely on the training field. Of course, they're going to say, we need we need help. We've got a lot of injuries coming in. We've got a lot of games. Uh, we're playing Wednesday night somewhere in Europe and Saturday lunchtime somewhere in, in London. And it's it's not ideal at all. So, of course, Pep Guardiola is going to look after himself. But then you look at Sheffield United, you look at Burnley, West Brom, all these teams. Why would they want to give City more mm-hmm. of an advantage to beat them? This is probably the only season where they've probably 
got a chance to really have a go at City and Liverpool and these bigger clubs and bring them closer to their level. Mm-hmm. So why would they allow them to make five substitutes and bring on another fresh world-class player? It, I, I can see why it's been voted down twice and I think why it would be voted down again. I think the only thing that would change and flip a vote is is if the injuries carry on. Carry on. Mm-hmm. I think you point at Burnley they've had a, they've been decimated by injuries and had to mm-hmm. play a lot of the young players and not field a full bench at times so it's it's a tricky one it's it's the challenges of this season and I, I can see every argument has has merit but I think at some point Pep Guardiola is going to have to admit defeat if it goes to a vote again and he's he's well, beaten he's going to have to just well, stop talking about it and stop complaining and get on with it because he's got more resources than anyone else in the league to be fair, I think it will go. I think if it does go to another vote, I think it will be closer this time. So I think mm-hmm. David Moyes has said that yeah. he's kind of changed his mind on it. So maybe the teams have kind of come, come to. And don't worry, on there would be benefits. There could be benefits for smaller teams to have that because mm-hmm. if you're holding on to a one 0 lead against a City or Liverpool and you can bring okay. on two more defenders in the last minute, it, but that's such kind of a rare scenario compared to the big teams who forever with their losing one nil with half an hour to go, they can bring on three strikers. Like it is weighted in the big clubs favor, but I do think it might be, um, I think we might see some more clubs. I think your Leicester's, your Everton's and your West Ham's, you know, the middle tier Southampton's, they may flip a bit. Um, with, if, as you say, if injuries keep going, cause I think I remember hearing correctly, there's like then 46% more muscle injuries compared to in the same point last year. So it's obvious that it's a problem, but at the end of the day, it's, the, foot, you know, the football authorities are trying to rush through every single game in such a small amount of time. And we don't know yet if, you know, there's every possibility the football might be suspended at some point again. If things get worse, hopefully they don't. But yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's, it's, it's an interesting debate and we'll see how it goes coming forward. Um, it's certainly going to be one that I think we won't hear the end of from Guardiola, Klopp or anyone else for that matter. But as we said earlier, we are now into an international break, uh, kind of, a pointless one from that, at least from an England perspective. There are some interesting qualifiers for the likes of Scotland and Northern Ireland, which might be worth it keeping an eye on from a football perspective. But I think, you know, we're in the second international break. It's kind of a good point now to take stock of the season so far, of where City are, and kind of assess where they are this year so far, uh, Ty. It's, as we said, it's 11th City are in. It's been a very inconsistent and kind of flaky at times Premier League, start to the Premier League. But in cup competitions, it's kind of been plain sailing. Champions League form, maybe we should touch on first. Three games, three wins, fairly comfortable in each one. It's, But obviously, it's been quite a comfortable group for City and probably a helpful one for being so. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about it is that even when City have had helpful groups previously, they've they've often managed to throw in a, a chaotic defeat or a chaotic mm. performance from somewhere. A Leon. A Leon, exactly, yeah. It, it has been very smooth for them so far and it, it's the perfect scenario, really. And they'll know that if they can even get a point in Greece uh, next week, week after, then they're as good as through. If they win that game, they're, they're probably going to get through and top their group. So that would be ideal. And in, in terms of, like we say, resting players, it, it gives Guardiola the chance to make changes for the last two games. So they have been, they've taken advantage of a kind European group. And I think it actually stands them in good stead going forward in Europe that they have so far navigated it with with complete ease, really. That that should give them a lot of confidence in a, a competition that, that has knocked their confidence in previous years. So, yeah, I think Champions League has, has undoubtedly been the highlight. Like we say, there's been a few uncertain Premier League performances, but on the whole, I think there's, there's a lot they can take for it, even though they are down in 11th. Yeah, the Premier League season so far, Joe, it's quite a strange thing to say, but City 
at least I think so, haven't actually won um, two games in a row yet so far this season in the Premier League. They've had the odd draw, then the, uh, obviously the kind of cataclysmic defeat to Leicester, um, which felt <laughs> quite bad at the time, but it seems so long ago now. They've kind of wrestled back that kind of, as, we, as Ty said earlier, there's not going to be any five goals conceded again, it would seem, with the, the uh, additions of Diaz and Cancelo coming to left back. But yeah, how would you kind of assess the Premier League campaign so far and the Champions League, as we said? I think, obviously, that Leicester game was every disaster that could have happened did happen. It was a weaker defence than normal. Jamie Vardy was the difference between both sides. He was superb. He won three penalties. And if you take that away, I think City have been fairly consistent. They obviously need to add more goals, but considering they've played without a proper recognised striker for the majority of those games, then it's kind of expected that they're not going to score as many. Sterling, Torres, they've done all right in those positions, but... um, Going forward, they will need to start scoring more than one goal a game to win to win a lot of these. But considering all the injuries that have happened, because I think most players and certainly most positions have suffered injuries at times. Oh, yeah. So considering all that, it's not been too bad. And I think they're only one point worse off than they were at this stage last season. Oh, Some, I think I read that. So I think they're, they're now in a good position with players coming back from injuries finding the form, the, the striker issue hopefully will be resolved soon with Jesus back to fitness. Aguero will, should be back after the international break. And I think City are, will be quite happy. Guardiola said as much that he's really, really, really pleased with, with how they've been, even though they're in 10th or 11th position or wherever they are in the league. The, the defence issue looks to have been sorted. You've seen that with Diaz coming in after that Leicester game and the improvement in defence since then. Walker's been very, very consistent. Jao Cancelo's looking like he might be a better option than Mendy in defence in the left back. They've got good strength and depth all over the pitch. And I think City will be quite happy with with all with everything that's gone on. And they've they played some tough teams as well. They've, they've played obviously now Liverpool, Arsenal, uh, West Ham have been playing well this season. Leicester have been playing well. Leeds have been unpredictable, but they they did really really well to uh, to go toe to toe with City. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I think there's more reason to be positive and give it another seven games or whatever. I don't think City will be anywhere near the the bottom half. They'll be mm-hmm. touching the uh, top four as as they should be. Yeah, you mentioned kind of the horrible injury record they've had so far. Off the top of bed, the only players I can think of who haven't been missing due to injuries: Edison, Walker. And I think Sterling and Sterling had to miss an international break because mm-hmm. he picked up that minor injury. Obviously, and maybe Mares. I don't know if Mares has been injured or oh, Torres. So, at the top of my head, that's like four or five players. That's the only one he's had available throughout the season. So, it's clearly been like an inconsistent and um, not really a stable start to the year. And it's hard to maybe judge all the players off that with some players have played so little. But like, if we're kind of sorting the players into winners and losers at the start of this campaign. Who would you say, Joe, has been like your standout kind of performer so far or maybe surprised you the most compared to the t- the player who's potentially kind of been disappointing so far? I was uh, I was writing a similar article about this and it was it was actually quite difficult to put put the sort of separate the two because you've got players like Kyle Walker who's been very, very good. He's been in the best form of his city career, as Pep Guardiola says. Um but then he's kind of let himself down once or twice with the odd mm. penalty conceded. Um, on the whole, he's been very good and he's he's forced Joe Cancelo to go out to the left-hand side to get any game time. Cancelo himself has been good when he's come in. I think Sterling and Torres deserve credit for playing out of position um, a lot of the time and doing well. They've not quite backed it up with as many goals as City would like, but considering they've had to play in unusual formations, mm. uh, different lots of games coming together, I think... 
I think those two deserve deserve credit. I think Torres just generally for for how he's mm. how he stepped into his his new career at City, a new league, a new team. He's backed it up with some very good goals. Uh, done a, a job for the team. Looks very lively, and he's twenty million pounds. Looks like one of the best best deals that City might do in a long, long time. Um, so I think yeah, Walker and uh, and Torres really are the two standouts for me. Mm-hmm. Any ones who's kind of been a bit disappointing? Do you think? Without being too asked, obviously it's been such a strange start to the season. I don't. I never like having to go at Benjamin Mendy because I think hmm. there is a good player there, and he's obviously been hampered by a lot of injuries. But he he didn't really help himself, especially in that Leicester game. And uh, he he's got a real fight in his hands when he comes back with uh, with Cancelo and and Zinchenko putting some good performances in in at left back. Elsewhere, I don't think there's there's been many sort of really really bad performers. Eric Garcia maybe was a bit underprepared for that Leicester game, but he he is a young player. We know that he needs probably a more experienced player beside him than than Nathan Ake, who's himself joining a new team. So I don't I, again I wouldn't want to have too too much to go at Eric Garcia for one one or two bad performances. So it's mm. it's all in in sort of context of these these big injuries and, and stuff. But yeah, I think Mendy will be the one fearing for his place the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, I'd I'd say Mendy as well has probably been Kind of, it's been such a shame with him because he looked so good when he first came from Monaco. Mm. I think he got four, three or four assists in his first six games or so when he first came, and then obviously he's just been absolutely ravaged by injuries since. And he, it's a shame because he just doesn't look the same player. And he, he's not as like kind of young as you kind of might think he is as well. I think he's like approaching. He's in like his late twenties now, and it does seem, as I say, because in contrastly, I think Cancelo's probably been the most kind of surprisingly impressive for me so far. He was kind of such a you know, a 60 million movie came through last summer and he hardly played, was left out of the squad for the um, Carabao Cup victory. And like, a, a, you know, it's not not usually that happens when such a big uh, money sign and gets left out completely. But he's kind of, he kind of found left back towards the end of last year, showed flashes. I think now he's, he's really making it his own. I thought that Liverpool performance was maybe his breakout performance um, for City. Was I thought I was really impressed with how good he was. And then elsewhere, I think Torres, you say, another, um, he came in this summer been really impressive down the middle when, I think he's shown Sterling up a bit in that in that position. Um, it's never really suited Sterling, I don't think, to kind of be the focal point. I, 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 it just it's he just looks so much better when he's out on the flanks, being able to ghost in at back posts and kind of get on the ball more in wide positions. But um, Torres has really looked good there, and maybe the backup for permanent if Jesus and Aguero have any more injury problems. And then I think. Another kind of winner is has been Liam Delap. He's only 17, maybe he might be 18 now, I'm not sure, on his actual birthday. But to come in and make an impact like he has, I think he's only played three actual senior games, but he scored on his debut a great goal, hit the bar in that Leicester game, and he can probably account himself to be a bit unlucky not to get more game time so far, I think. But how would you how would you rate the players so far, Ty? Yeah, I, I would put Cancelo down as, as probably the biggest winner as well. I think he's kind of made that left-back slot his own at the moment. And it, it's not ideal that City have a right footer at left-back. I think, especially if they're going to play Sterling on, on the left wing as well, you end up with two players in the final third who are trying to do the same thing, basically. And, and that's going to be problematic as the season goes on. And I think it's clear that City will still want a left-footed left-back at some point. And long-term, it, it's unlikely that's going to be Mendy. But Cancelo has really made that position his own. And it was only in January when we were asking Guardiola pretty regularly at press conferences if, if Cancelo would be leaving after six months. He, he was linked with moves away. There was talk that he was unhappy at the club, that he couldn't settle, hadn't really grasped what was wanted of him. So to be in this situation now where he's been played out of position, but 
has been one of City's best players of the season, I think is a, a huge transformation and bodes pretty well. And when City do sign that left foot and left back, then we might see him putting more and more pressure on, on Walker as well, as, as good as Walker's been. Mm. In terms of losers, I actually think John Stones has played really well in the games he's been given this season. He's only conceded, I think, he's only conceded one goal, which was against Wolves, and that was the mm. only shot on target they had in that game. Um, and it was a head. It was like a, a really good header. I've, yeah. I've I've been like quite impressed when he has played, but it just doesn't seem like he's going to get any more opportunities now. Well, that's it. I thought he was really good against Olympiacos last week, and it's looked very solid. Considering he's getting one game every three or four, but as good as Diaz and Laporte have been, Ake is is obviously the third choice. Even Garcia has played ahead of Stones in some games, so it does make you wonder where Stones goes from here. It, it's great to see him playing well and encouraging, but it kind of makes it difficult to see a road back for him at City into playing as consistently as he would like and feels that as well as he's played, there's no avenue for him to disrupt that partnership unless there's injuries. And his best chance of of really salvaging his City career probably came when last season when Laporte was injured and the door opened and he didn't really take it. So it's great to see him playing well this season, but it still feels like he's probably going to have to leave to, to really sort of reignite his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think one more honourable mention for a winner this year. I think Rodri is the only player in the Premier League. Um, he didn't unless he no, he didn't go off on Sunday to play all. Um, apart from Edison, obviously in goal, he's played every minute in the Premier League so far for City. I thought in his first season he was a bit. Um, so maybe took him a little bit of while to adapt to kind of how vigorous and fast the Premier League can be. But I think this year he's quietly gone about his business. Mm-hmm. Been really solid at the base of that midfield and kind of give as. You said about Lionel Laporte and Diaz doing the same. I think he's really given um, the, the De Bruyne, for instance, a real platform to go and build on. Because obviously, we've not even mentioned De Bruyne. He's probably yeah. the city's, city's best player again by far, even despite kind of the shocking Premier League miss. Uh, sorry, Premier League penalty miss on Sunday. I had when I was blogging the game, I actually had two option, two tweet options for the tweet like saved or scored. I never anticipated him putting it wide. It was such a <laughs> such a surprising thing. But lads, unless there's any other City business, we have. Uh, to mention, I think that's it for today's episode. We all good? Yeah, can't think of anything else. Now belting. So thank you for listening, everyone. My name's Dan, been Dan Murphy. You can follow me at Dan Murphy MEN on Twitter. Ty, where can they get you? Uh, at Ty Marshall underscore MEN. And Joe? At underscore Joe Bray. And of course, you can get everything that we do at Man City MEN. You can get us on Facebook and wherever you listen to this, click subscribe, give it a rating. And of course, go over to Manchester Evening News forward slash Manchester City for all the City news you could possibly need during uh, the international break. So thanks for listening and we'll see you later.